0: The following sermon is brought to you by preachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. We have come with open hearts, oh, let the ancient words impart. All right, so with your Bible's open, Mark chapter 2, that's where we're going to be picking up uh, here in just a moment, Mark chapter 2. Um, we kind of got started with this on Wednesday night. I figure may as well just continue on. If you have not noticed that we have got a lot of ground left to cover in this book. So anytime that I have the opportunity to teach at least, we're gonna be picking up in Mark. That's just gonna, gonna kind of be the standard that you can expect. As we kind of began the uh, study on Wednesday night, I basically just backtracked through a little bit of what we've been talking about. Uh, prior to our summer series beginning, kind of gave you a few outlines uh, some of you said I moved quickly through that. Guess what? I'm moving quickly through it again. Uh, but we are in a section uh, right now, basically when we're talking about the belittlement of Christ's work. Uh, chapters 1, basically the entire chapter, talked about the beginning of that work, but the belittlement of that work picks up here in chapter 2 and goes through chapter 3 and verse 6. Of course, you're familiar with the we belittle. belittled. They're going to put him down. They're going to try to discredit him. They're going to try to discard Uh, the truths that he's teaching, and that comes about whether or not he's committing miracles, doing works, wonders, or speaking his word on both hands of that. Chapter 1 let us know that all of that was teaching, that what he was doing through the miracles was still teaching, uh, not only from the perspective that it was validating his ministry, but it was also bringing victory toward his ministry as people were coming to him because of the miracles that he did. And he just wanted them to be sure that they always saw the spiritual truths and the spiritual side of that. So that's kind of where we are now. That's chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3 and verse number 6. Now, this is kind of the outline we went through the preceding chapter, but the context that we're in today just, again, picks up. And always remember, I try to make a point of this each time that we sit down to talk, and that is that we have to understand context and put things particularly when you're considering anything in the gospel accounts in their parallel accounts as well. So in this case, what is recorded here in Mark chapter two, verses one through 12, is likewise recorded in Matthew chapter nine, verses one through eight, as well as Luke chapter um, uh, five, verses 17 through 26. And so there are just a very few variants. We mentioned most of those already on Wednesday night, but there are very few variants between these two, but nonetheless, there are some variants And there are often times when we get a little bit of more, uh, a clearer view, more information given by studying those other accounts. So uh, that's one thing that I have to constantly remind myself of. I'll study one account from one gospel, and I'll look at that and say, well, here's all that we need to know about this. Well, actually, maybe not. If you go and look to the parallels, you'll sometimes find other information. So that's what we tried to do. On Wednesday, we kind of began by asking this question and we summarized it pretty quickly in our discussion, but what is the greatest benefit of being a Christian? Of course, the first thing I think I heard was heaven. No argument about that at all. Perhaps, however, the greatest benefit of being a Christian is salvation that allows us to go to heaven. So salvation is is what is universally needed by every man, answering the next question right here, and that is we have to be in some form, as Jesus was, evangelistic, and willing to share the gospel of those people, willing to take the gospel to them and to help them to open their Bibles. Uh, they more likely have a copy. If they don't, we'll be glad to hand them out. Uh, but open their Bibles with them and let them see the truth that's in it. And that is man's greatest need as well, to be forgiven of their sins as well as in turn to be brought to salvation, not through us but through Christ. We listed a few verses right here. We covered then Acts thirteen thirty-eight just being one of them, proving to us or reminding us that Jesus was coming here to forgive people of their sins. And that's where this context, this miracle, is what we've seen as of yet in the Gospel of Mark is a little bit different because prior to this, his entire focus has been, what they saw at least, has been just simply to heal people, to take away their maladies, their illness, their sickness. Uh, But in this context, he makes a point Even in the very beginning of it, as soon as he sees this man come into the presence, and we'll reread the account in a moment, but the first thing Jesus speaks to him about is having forgiveness of his sins. And of course the attack, uh, the belittling that the Pharisees and the scribes begin with is, who can forgive sins but God? And that's a true statement, but Jesus has to address that. But that's his intention to forgive others of sins. We see it here also that he brings redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Also, you can go to the Old Testament and learn much the same. He was there to forgive iniquities, quote, verse 7, and transgressions of sins, to clear the guilty, verse 7 also tells us. So his intention constantly and continually to have sins to be forgiven. Now, we're back to the account. We'll reread it for this morning's sake. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And again, he, that is Jesus... Entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. He was home. He was kind of back to his home base. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch as there was no room to receive them, no, so much, no not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And he had come unto him, and they had come, I'm sorry, unto them, one who was sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And Jesus saw their faith, and I've got a box around that. We'll come back to it. we we'll discussed part of it already. And said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven. But they were, but they were certain of the, of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, verse 6. Why doth this man, verse 7, speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves. And he said to them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But, they, but that ye may know that the Son of God hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick and the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk, and go into thine house. And immediately, verse 12, he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, insomuch as they were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, We have never seen this on this fashion. So just to go back to the text, I'll have to skip ahead for it. We already talked a little bit, a lot, I guess, about the rooftops. Uh, what they may have looked like and most likely did but when Jesus is in this place and it says that there were so many gathered I can imagine the room was filled it says there was not even room even as about the door Jesus is performing this miracle which ultimately is a miracle of salvation he performs that in front of a, a huge crowd I can imagine I don't know exactly how many were there there's no way to measure but there were plenty there. And I kind of uh, delineated to you on Wednesday night that I would argue that there must have been several categories of people there. I won't go back through them, but those who, for example, were curious, those who were there because they were concerned, those who were there because they were committed, and those who were there perhaps because they were counterfeit. And that is they were only there to try to cause Jesus to stumble. And that's kind of where we got to in our discussion. Now, a few phrases we've already looked at. There were many about the door. We made mention the fact that this man was sick with the palsy. That's more than likely that he was completely lame, completely without the ability to walk. And that he was absolutely said of, said of them in verse 5, that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven. Now, does anyone remember when we're talking about the phrase there, King James speak is the same as others. Uh, Their faith. Whose faith was being viewed at this point? Those carrying him most likely and his faith. So his faith is a part of that. And that just goes along with an argument that we sometimes have to defend where someone says, well, you don't really have to have true faith in Jesus to be healed. You just need friends to come in and have faith for you. Is there any point in our lives as Christians, or I should say leading up to becoming Christian especially, where we cannot have any faith at all and still be saved by that? No. Uh, when you think about what we might call the gospel plan of salvation, the process through which... God has already established that he would save men if and when they follow these certain commandments. When you think about that, what is the foundation of every single uh, salvation account that happened in the book of Acts or any other place in us? What's the one thing that is universal to every single one of them? Faith. Faith is the foundation of that. Now... Uh, through a careful study of the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, if you look and you read those things carefully, you find all of the things that we would generally describe as leading towards salvation. You find faith itself. You find repentance. You find confession. And ultimately, you must find baptism in order for that salvation to actually occur. But faith being the constant of that, being the foundation of all of that, and we understand from reading different passages on faith, the most common, the most recognizable to us comes in when we read through Hebrews 11. Remember that very first verse, but faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for and it is the evidence of things not seen. King James. You look on in the verse 6, we find another statement there made, but without what? It is impossible to please him. So faith has to be the foundation, the establishing point upon which any person, and I'll put big quotes around it because it would include obviously the most important salvation, may be healed. So in order for this man to be healed physically, faith was being required of Jesus, but more importantly in what's revealed in the context is it is faith that Jesus saw that caused him to desire to spiritually heal him. Now, Looking back a little bit farther into this, we were looking at uh, some of the things that were happening. When we think about this crippled man, says he was sick of the palsy. Are there issues that could arise because someone was crippled living under the old law? Let me back up a step. Under which law might this man be living? Old Testament or New Testament law? He's living under the old law, such as just Jesus was as well at that period of time. New law had not come into effect by his death. New law was not yet established. So they're living under the old law. What are some things that you can think of, and this goes back to uh, the, the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy as it repeats or restates many of those things. What can you think about automatically that may be involved if a person is lame, sick of the palsy, as it says, unable to walk or move about on their own? Would that cause difficulties? It, it often did the most obvious ones that we would think of that are still the case today for certain, if a man is sick of the palsy or in some severe way, it may be that they may not be able to work. And that's not to say everybody can't, and there's certainly been ways that have been adapted for some to work and to different extents, but oftentimes someone who's completely disabled, like this man may have been, uh, would not have been able to work. That would have been difficult. It's difficult in our day. How much more difficult in Jesus' day? No unemployment, no social security, no welfare, to to one extent, government established at least. No real way of making it, perhaps. That's a big deal that this man was in that condition, perhaps, from the physical side of things. But you could also consider, and this is what matters the most, Consider here that he also could not, under the old law, completely worship. Let's go back to a passage or two just for just a second or two. Go back to the book of Leviticus. I mentioned it a moment ago. Go to Leviticus chapter 21. Of course, there were a number of issues that could have arisen in a a person's life that would have made it difficult for them to worship or made it difficult at least for them to completely worship. Uh, come into the worship of the Old Testament at least, come into the presence of the temple, uh, different things like that. But look at Leviticus chapter 21. When you get there, someone help me if you would read loudly. Leviticus 21 beginning in verse 16. I'll pause you when we need. Leviticus 21 verse 16. Okay, all right, so backing up right there in verse 18, what do we see? Whoever does have a blemish shall not approach. A blind man shall not approach. A lame man shall not approach. One with a flat nose shall not approach. One who has a thing that is superfluous shall not approach. One that is broken-footed shall not approach. One that is broken-hearted, one that has a crooked back. One that is a dwarf, one that hath a blemish. I'm in verse 20, one that hath an eye scurvy or a blemish in his eye, or scurvy, or a scab, or hath his stones broken, or has a blemish. And, And on and on it goes, and you read the entire chapter for more of that. That sounds like someone, it states it as a matter of fact, that sounds like someone like this man or in a similar condition to this man would have difficulty participating in the worship of our God. Now, particularly, I think about it, and I'm thankful for how there's so much contrast that exists between the old law, the law of Moses, and the new law under which we live. And I feel like you think the same. Not to point anybody out, you'll think this of yourself, but how many in here, uh, if, if we put it down to this, have some type of blemish? How many of us uh, feel as if in some, one of our limbs we're lame? What about us who are... Uh, have, have in the past at least have broken feet or broken hands what about a crooked back you know what that sounds like to me for many of us is just getting older I mean some of those things come about just because a person's older what if everyone that gathered to worship under our law under the law of Christ to come into the church like we are today to just meet together come together with the church what if everyone with a melody like that was somehow kept to the outside This building would be a little bit less filled. There will be a lot of bit, I would call that, a lot of bit less relationship that it could exist between us if there was some type of separation in that. So this man, is falling into these categories because he is lame. He's lame. Now does anyone want to expand on that or you have any thoughts before we go back to our text? Leviticus chapter 17. I'm 21, 17 and following. The Old Testament, the Old Law, things like this uh, are foreshadowing of what is to come for us. And whereas they could not come if there was any uh, defilement or any shortcoming in their life, uh, they were not perfect, they were not whole. The same is for us in that in Christ we're able to worship because in Him we're made whole and perfect. That's true. Covered with His. Only we could in and of ourselves would not, would not be. So the same principle lies is true that we have to be in Christ so that we can be acceptable to God. That's right. If you didn't hear Brad, these, these things that we read of in the Old Testament are a shadowing or a type of what we, what would prohibit us. And our, on our side of things, that would be spiritual maladies that would occur. And such. so faith is a part of this. Faith is a huge part of this. It's the foundation of this. And these men come... Before him in that. So let's go back to our context of Mark chapter 2 then. Uh, we've, we've got the, it established that perhaps this man, uh, we know he can't walk. That's well, evident by this. He likely cannot work based on the fact that it would have been difficult to do so. He cannot potentially or fully worship. So this man needs help. And thanks be to God that he had that help. It mentions going back up into the context. says he was sick of the palsy, but which was born of four. Many times when I've kind of looked through this and presented this, I'll really just kind of turn the whole thing over and just say, look, this is an account that carries itself, at least the application of we ought to have good friends. Is it true that oftentimes friends fellow Christians, family members, that they can be the biggest assistant to us in doing anything in life? Is it true that oftentimes, and thankfully that they do, that they can absolutely be a huge part of our spiritual lives? How many of you could point, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you could at least answer in your minds, point back and think of a person or a group of people in your life that uh, they are the reason why you ever obey the gospel to begin with? You can probably picture faces and think, well, if it hadn't been for mama or daddy or grandma or grandpa or this neighbor or this friend, and, and you hear all kinds of stories like that that go back, and, and all of us to a point have someone uh, through which or by which we, all have, we are able to go back in our minds and say, okay, this person had a huge influence on my life, and this person or these people are the ones that allow me to even open my eyes to truth. Now, if one is saved by that truth, that only comes through this word, and it comes through a study and through an understanding and through an application of such. But these men had a part in that. So let's just go through a few things right here. I consider in the context, when you look at these men and just see what they were willing to do, number one, I'm appreciative of their reasoning. How much sense would it have made in general, Now we're looking at the miracle as a whole now, not a specific phrase or word in this, But how much sense would it make in general For these men to come to their friend on one day, whatever that was, I don't know what the conversation was like, but perhaps something more to the effect of, look, we've seen you in this condition for a long time. We know you're struggling. We know that a lot of things for you are nearly impossible in life, if not impossible. And so what we would like to do, we've heard of a man named Jesus. He's been kind of in and around, moving around. I'm hearing words that he's coming back here into Capernaum. We want to carry you down there and see if he can heal you. They've got pretty good reasoning. Now I don't know if this man is anything like others that he healed. For example, when he heals the woman who had an issue of blood, what do we know about her specifically? About what type of medical care she had tried to seek? Speaks of her and says, well, she had spent all of her her goods, all of her monies trying to be healed from this, going to various doctors or, or whatever you could imagine that she tried or attempted in order to be healed. I had a pretty sincere guy, and Jennifer remembers this back when I was sick and waiting on heart transplant, uh, very sincere in what he did, but he called one day, we were going down the road. And he had already spoke with me a little bit, but he worked for me. and he called one day to let us know that they were going to have a healing service at his church. And he definitely thought I'd be a wonderful candidate for that, and you know, begged us to come over. It was just over uh, East to not East of Boga, water. Let's come on! Over. I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure Pastor so and so can good intentions is that a solution? <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a bit of a solution this was a good idea what these men come with is the fact that we know that Jesus can heal you there's their confidence and their reasoning now I think about their, their reasoning I think there was a purpose to it and the fact was that they wanted to be charitable they wanted to help this man I think about the fact that there was also a purpose of this, that they were harmonious in that. Have you ever been in a position where you had to help someone, maybe somebody's fallen or what have you, and you go to pick them up off the floor and you can't quite get them up? But maybe there's somebody nearby who goes and grabs that other shoulder, that other arm and lifts them up. What type of harmony is needed to move someone in a condition where maybe they can't walk, where others began to help and assist? What happens if you get that person up? I've experienced this. Uh, but what happens if you get that person up and the person on the opposite side or the other side of you stumbles and they fall, what generally happens to the whole group? They end up falling too. Because it's a group effort, there's some support there, there's some harmony that, it, harmony that has to exist and did exist apparently in these men's lives. Let's look at another passage. I know we don't flip much, but let's go over to the book of Luke for just a moment. Look in Luke chapter 5. You know, Luke, as I said, has this parallel account to this. And sometimes truths can be revealed by just seeing that. But look at Luke chapter 5. When you get there, go down to verse. um, Let's start in 18. Luke chapter 5, verse 18. And behold, the men brought the bed, brought in the bed of the man which was taken up by the palsy, and sought means to bring him in to lay him before him and where they could not find what they did, what, I can't read it all this morning, when they could not find what way that they might have bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling on his couch in the midst of Jesus. And that's really no different except for I mentioned on Wednesday that uh, it talks about the broken up of the roof and, and the count we're reading, Mark, and also as well as that Matthew does. Luke tells us they break up the tiling just, just as a subjective way of thinking, how many of us would have continued to participate in this? You know, they get together. Okay, I think it's a great idea. We carry our friend to Jesus. Only Jesus can help. Okay, they bear him up. They carry him from wherever he was. They get to the house. I could easily see myself as a pessimist being one saying, well, we tried. You know, we made all the effort we could make, but you can see it right there. I mean, you may have paused it, but you can see there's no possible way we're getting into this house. Who had to agree to get him up there? Those, those four. Who had to agree to tear those tiles off or to pull off that rooftop? Those four. Who had to agree to lower him down? Those four. Harmony existed between them to one extent or another. And then I love their perspective. Because their perspective, I, I don't know that it was a full perspective, but ultimately what did they bring this man to? To a man who could heal his palsy? Or to a man who could change his eternity. They brought him to both. And ultimately the eternity side of that would be of more benefit. So think about that and look at Jesus' compassion. We've got a number of characters, but I continually try to remind myself that the main character, the main man in the context, any of these gospels or any page on, uh, that you could find in your Bible, Jesus would be that main character. He is there. Look at his compassion. Rereading some of that. It brought him verse 3, sick of the palsy. When he was come nigh unto them, that they uncovered the roof where he was, and it was broken up, verse 4, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And Jesus saw their faith and said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven. Now, Jesus saw their faith. We've already reviewed that. But he said, Son thy sins be forgiven. Does he have that ability? We absolutely know. Would their argument would be different to his? Absolutely. Could Jesus have made a different choice in this? Uh, the assumption will be for sure. He could have been, I, I may have been, uh, somewhat uh, disturbed or thrown off by this. Uh, I can speak for myself, Cliff, um, who else? Brad, I know, has done plenty of this. Others in the room also have spoken. If you've ever had anything happen in the middle of a class or in the middle of a sermon or in the middle of whatever, if you've ever had anything happen, it doesn't have to be bad, but maybe someone's cell phone goes off or maybe someone drops a Bible or maybe someone I've seen pass out. You know, there's really terrible things have happened in a service. Does that ever throw anything off? It does for me. I try to be very well prepared, not nearly as prepared as Jesus would have been to speak, but that would typically throw off. What does Jesus change the focus to immediately? To that man. You know, I don't know what this is necessarily a picture of, but in my mind it pictures the fact of, it just seems to picture the way that God reacts to us and maybe in our prayers, our petitions got everything else in the world to be concerned with, got the multitudes all around him. And as this man is lowered through that roof and finds himself in front of him somehow or another, he gets there and the very first thing Jesus does is stop and begin to put attention on him and begin to put the focus on him. That's important. Jesus came before him with compassion. And Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven. He has that ability. Look at the next verse. We've already kind of looked at all this a bit as we're kind of coming back and picking up the highlights. But there were certain other scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts and says, why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? How can they make an accusation that Jesus has blasphemed the the end of that would be God? How can they make an accusation that Jesus blasphemed God just by simply saying that this man's sins were forgiven? He made himself God. God. And there are so many arguments we won't get into. I've got a kind of an insert discussion I want to have in a few weeks about... One phrase that's in this text, the Son of Man, the second one being the idea of Him being God, not just equal to, He is equal to, but a part of God. But much of the World looks at this and says, now wait a minute, Jesus may be the Son of God, but He's not God. And so He's, you know, he's just saying that He's equal to God, and there's no biblical proof for that. Is there biblical proof that Jesus was God? Certainly there is. There are a number of passages that prove that. Numbers. We'll get to some of those later. But the main one that always I just immediately comes off my tongue comes from John chapter 1, verse 1. Why? What does it say? Some of you know that off the top of your head. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And here's a phrase, and the Word was God. I mean, to me, that's ungetoverable, that's undeniable, that's a part of it. But you see, these scribes, these Pharisees, they did not want to admit that at this point, at least. For all that they were probably willing to say about God and willing to give tribute to God, and that they had basically their whole lives, in, in some terms, had revolved around trying, I assume, to please God. They crossed boundaries in doing that often, but to try to please God, to accept Jesus as God was beyond their willingness for most of them. And so they accuse him of blaspheming God. One more passage and we'll stop flipping and flopping for a moment. Go back with me again to the book of Leviticus. Look with me in Leviticus when you get there. Let's see. I had it jotted somewhere. I saw it on this paper a minute ago. Thought it was. No, I know where it was. It's in my margin over here. Some of you already know where I'm going anyway. Leviticus 24, Leviticus 24 and verse 17. Leviticus 24, 17. Which doesn't appear to be related to anything. That's fine too. <laughs> Not good in the moment, but that'll work. I make mistakes. That is 16. Close, pretty close. Speaking here, and it says, And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall surely stone him as well as the stranger, as he that is born in the land. For when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. What's one of the accusations they ultimately make against Jesus that would get him put to death? He blasphemed God. He claimed equality with God. And so they make that call against him. But Jesus reads their hearts. Jesus sees differently. Jesus understands and comprehends that their accusations need to be, I would say, debunked. And so his argument that comes out is very simple. Which one is easier? Is it easier for me to say, Thy sins be forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk? Which one would be easier to prove? I'm talking about human eyes looking on it. Which one is easier to prove that I did this? The walking. It would be easier for Jesus to prove his case if all he had said is take up thy bed and walk. Because Jesus had done similar things before and would do plenty more things like later. And if he did that, they may have tried to discredit it, but it would have been there in their presence and they could have established and they ultimately would establish this man has just walked. He was lame, but now he walks. He had palsy, but now he moves. But Jesus went originally to, thy sins be forgiven. Could a man fake that? I could fake it right now. Michael Burr, your sins are forgiven. I I saw the comfort come over his face. Any of you in the room doubt and say, no, no way he did that. Because I could. So there's doubt that's in their minds, but they make no argument. They won't even answer him. He knew what they said in their hearts which is another miracle <coughs> and which proves that he was God. The, the law of Leviticus at some point and I don't have my reference for this so uh, you could take it or leave it I'd probably leave it before I take it in that matter if I don't have the proof for it but the way that they understood the law of Leviticus they actually believed that the, that the Messiah who would come would be able to read their minds by smelling their breath, as strange as that is. I'll find the the record on that, but the, the, the Messiah could read their minds by smelling their breath. That's not how he did it. But he did it. He did it because he was God. And he had that ability. Oh, that's Isaiah 11 and verse 3. I do have that written down. Isaiah 11 and verse 3. Talks about them being able to read their hearts in that. So we got to move on. we got to call this one about uh, finished. But here's a question in, in seeing this type of miracle being done and what it's related to. Where does this power end? That's got to be one of the questions I would think that comes in their minds. You know, they've seen him... Uh, heal the lepers, they've seen him cause this man now the palsy to walk, they've seen him uh, raise up uh, Peter's mother-in-law who was sick a number of miracles have already been done, probably hundreds of miracles have been done in the previous chapter because he had healed all night, all that came out to him. But someone in the room may have asked, where does this power end? You know, he, he's done all these miracles. And, and to one point, we can't deny anything that we've seen. But now, he claims to forgive sins. Is that even possible? We're thankful that we know that it is. And we're thankful that he has that even ability today. So... It's kind of wrapping up. We've we looked kind of at the meaning very quickly. We've looked at the man. The focus continuing to be Jesus. But what about some of the messages of this text? I think there are several things that could be established. Uh, one is that you and I must uh, know and understand our frailties. Brad pretty much alluded to this in the statement we made about all the things in Leviticus that 21, 17 and following that reflect on us spiritually that we are lame in some extent. We are blemished in in many ways, and and all that comes down to our sins and our shortcomings and such. We've got to know our frailties. This man would have never been healed if he'd have stayed in denial and told his friends, I guess, way back over here, you know what, don't worry about it, it's not really that bad. I know I can't get around, but I've learned to live a life and a lot of things that we might say. We also have to understand and we should know who our friends are. Thankful to God this man had them. You know the most important thing these men did for him? They brought him to Jesus. That's the picture. The most important thing you and I can do for anyone, anyone, is to bring them to Jesus. He had to know them. Of course, Jesus knew who his foes were. That was a part of him. And I'm sure there were others in the room that as Jesus did this were in denial, probably had uh, some other things to say, even past their thoughts. Many of those who Jesus healed, not this one, but many would have to justify themselves and have to justify what Jesus had done. But the beautiful thing about this is this man that day learned of his future. And it was so much more than simply being able to walk. Any questions or comments? Through that section. All right, next up, we've got Levi, uh, the choosing of Levi and Matthew, which ultimately gets Jesus into some hot water because he ends up spending time with the publicans. And, of course, that is something that is not like. The next section after that will be concerning fasting. And i I'm not, I'm not decided where I'm going to be out of town that Wednesday, but I'm going to find somewhere, and Brad's covering for us on that one. And so look forward to Brad's discussion on fasting in a few weeks, but we'll get to it when we do. Thank you for your attention.